to Mental Selling, the sales performance podcast, a show from Integrity Solutions. This is a podcast for passionate leaders in sales and customer service who are driven by purpose, not just a paycheck. People who want to create broader and deeper connections with customers and their teams by building trust and mastering the critical mental and emotional sides of sales. Ready to rise up to the top of your game? Let's get right into the show. It's harder than ever to get, keep, and maximize talent. What does it take to attract good sales candidates and actually keep them? How have hybrid sales teams changed the way that teams stay connected and combat things like burnout? And what are companies missing out learning about when people do leave? That's our focus today on this episode of Mental Selling, your your favorite sales podcast. Thank you for joining us today. And my guest is Elisa Matthews. She is Client Performance Strategies Facilitator at Allied Solutions. Thank you so much for being here today, Elisa. Yeah, thank you, Will, for having me. Super excited. Uh, this topic is one that I am personally passionate about, shall we say. So <laughs> excited to uh, glean into some of these best practices that are so important and just really a top hot topic of conversation these days. Absolutely. So your background is mainly in working uh, with the banking industry in talent management, customer service, coaching, sales. And and I just returned yesterday, actually, from a banking industry training conference. So the the timing is really good. I'm very glad to get a chance to speak with you. And um, so where I wanted to start is around this big and nebulous concept of employee engagement. And employee engagement and retention of good people and good salespeople specifically are, we know that they're intrinsically linked, right? And most sales teams now, if they weren't already before, are dispersed and, and very much hybrid. What do, you, what do you see companies getting right and wrong about handling having hybrid teams and creating you know, a really good culture where people are actively engaged or put a, put another way maybe what does good employee engagement look like in practice when people are mostly virtual yeah that is thank you will um something i'm hearing and i know team is going to sound like well that's the obvious it's to set expectations and i am still a little startled i will say when i get with a, a group for coaches for example and they may be a new coach to the organization and or an existing coach that now has a new team member that here it's been six months to a year respectively they've never met that employee face to face all they've ever met them on is through a virtual interaction and what shocked me even then was okay sure right this is this is where we're at with health and safety and that awareness and sensitivity and yet they've still not even met on camera or very few frequent opportunities to meet on camera and i know someone out there is rolling their eyes going so we get to work from home i don't need to be camera ready to do my job of course not if there is something that will to be said about being able to see someone and engage in real time some of that body language that might indicate if you're a coach manager leader hey, this person's not okay today, or, oh, that's just the way they respond. And as I understand that through the relationship conversation, I can better understand how to coach and lead them. And there's there's such a strong correlation between employees that feel connected and engaged and how long they end up staying around and, and the impact on revenue growth, profitability, customer service, operational efficiency, you name it. How do... What what's your advice to managers in creating that more human 
connection with their people. Again, especially when most of the time it's virtual. And like you said, they might go six months at a time without seeing somebody in person. Right. I think the, the, what I'm hearing is just those leaders who are very intentional about those expectations of what does our meeting time look like? Um, if we're expected to be on camera, right, that we we make a plan for it. So it's not a surprise because I've heard that too from the employee, right? The last thing they want to hear from their manager is, hey, you know, Susie, cut that camera on. Let's see, let's see ya. And Susie's not feeling prepared for it that day. So again, just leaders set expectations that, hey, every two weeks, we're going to have this one-on-one encounter conversation. Uh, please be camera ready so we can both see each other, engage in some great ideas. I think oftentimes too, as leaders, we feel like we have to have all the answers when it comes to motivation and uh, team engagement, team synergy, even in a remote environment. So lean into the strengths of your team. If you yourself are not people inclined that you come in as a leader and, and are very effective at getting results, find the people on your team who like those people activities, task them with the, uh, uh, internal, uh, what do we call that? The council of fun, right? <laughs> Somebody who can have some fun things. And I've got some ideas. I've heard some really cool uh, ways of engagement too that are fun in a way that is still respectful of working from home and yet still allowing people to get to know each other on more of a personal versus just a work relationship. Yeah. Like you, like you've said before, like asking people about their interest in their life outside of work, you know, they're, they're human beings and they, they want to bring their whole selves to work. So engage with them that way. So related to the, the sort of the the downside to employee engagement or the, or the negative effects when employee engagement doesn't isn't there and that's around burnout. So uh, burnout's always been an issue in especially in sales, but the data shows that burnout got even worse for some pretty obvious reasons over the last couple of years. Um, I would I had read a study by there was a firm called Limeade that did a study that said forty percent of employees cited burnout as the top reason for leaving. What do you observe in your work about why most often burnout happens? It's been my experience, Will, that a lot of burnout is a result of not feeling appreciated, not seeing value that that team member is bringing to their work. And instead, what I hear from the employee is, Every time I do a good job, right, more work just seems to come my way with little little to no recognition for what's already been accomplished. And so a lot of folks I, I'm hearing that they're they're not unwelcoming of the additional task and responsibility. It's that they're feeling a little slighted about not being appreciated, not being recognized, uh, not being asked. What what else would you like to do? What other development opportunities could we provide you with here at our organization to help you continue to manage these these tasks? Because instead, right, will the flip side comes, well, we don't have time to do that. We've got customers to serve. We've got a line out the door. I mean, it. so it is this delicate balance of what's more important, you know, and, and how are you taking care of your customers when you don't take care of the people that are then being expected to take care of the customer? Yeah, and, and, and nobody ever raises their hand and claims that they're not receiving enough appreciation from their leaders, right? That's just not something that exists. Correct. <laughs> Um, so beyond, so there's, you know, there's leaning into top performers too much, which has an obvious adverse effect. You end up, can end up losing them. What about things like goal clarity, um, people being clear about their work and how it, why it matters and, and what's expected of them is, is that another factor? It's definitely one that's becoming, uh, truthfully obvious for those that, that self-reflected in an honest way that, 
uh, when I ask this question in workshops, when we talk specifically about what, what does goal clarity mean to you and where are your natural strengths and your ability to be clear on goals, expectations, measurable, attainable, right? How are they going to achieve it? Um, I'm still, I, I get a lot of pushback from folks going, wait a minute, I'm, my goal clarity is not strong, yet I know what's expected of me. They, they take a personal offense that maybe they don't, uh, know, like that we somehow don't know, um, or they don't know what's expected of them. They don't know what the job uh, performance or result desire is. That's not it at all. The reality is, is they don't take the time to plan, which as a result creates more stress. Believe it or not, employees just think in my mind, I know what I need to do. I'll just start doing the things to do it without taking time to prioritize what needs to be done specifically for this goal. What um, obstacles may I face and who will I contact should I hit that roadblock or challenge? So inadvertently, they create more stress for themselves by doubling down, doing extra work, uh, blowing off other tasks, shall we say, right? To reprioritize something that may not be important. So just taking the time to articulate a plan, literally, I know it sounds caveman, taking pen to paper, executing a, a plan of attack, most people don't do that. And as a result, become stressed as a result now experience that burnout because they all of a sudden have all these plates juggling in the air and no true uh, execution plan of what it's going to look like to achieve it. So that is something I, I'm hearing a lot, especially in workshops and folks are saying, darn, I'm missing this opportunity to simplify my life, make things not so stressful by not having a plan. So instead, I'm making doing twice the work because I didn't stop to make one plan. Yeah. And they can end up feeling untethered and you know, their compass just isn't, they don't think their compass is pointed in the right direction, that sort of thing. And they're just, they're yearning for that. Yeah. This then shows, they then feel not the support by the management, right? Because then they're thinking, why doesn't my manager recognize that I'm spinning all these plates in the air and they're not offering to help or take any of that. So then that, that does turn into some of that resentment and some of that unspoken expectations lead to resent, uh, resentful feelings. So Again, goes back to the one number of thing coaches can do, set expectations. What is it you expect? Be clear uh, and be engaging in that expectation from the employee, not just from you as a leader. So then beyond sort of having goal clarity is having the confidence and the skill, the confidence in your own skills and the fundamentals to execute around around those priorities. And I've, I've read some things that there's a big gap between what employees want as far as skills development and training and things like that, and what they're actually being provided. What, what's your perspective on, on what companies are either misinterpreting or skipping ahead to, or, you know, like, how, why, why do you think that gap exists? I wonder if it really boils down to that gap in asking those clarifying needs questions of, so an employee might say, right, I, we'll go with the low hanging fruit here of time management. <laughs> I don't have enough time in my day to complete all these things. And one thing we trip up on, especially as leaders in an organization is make the assumption, right? So there's the, the good old adage about assuming. We make the assumption that, oh, they, they're telling me they don't have time in the day, so I need to send them time management uh, training. That may not actually be what the employee is hung up on, right? So we, we make assumptions sometimes for our staff based on what we're hearing instead of going back and saying, okay, I hear you saying time management. Well, breaking news, folks, I don't know if you knew this, but I have the same 60 seconds in the one minute that I believe everybody else does. So it's not managing those 60 seconds. It's how we prioritize the task coming in to that one minute, the 60 seconds and one minute of every day that we all have. So that then, but we don't ask, right? Well, we don't ask the employee, what's really going on? Is it that you don't have enough time in the day or is it what's on your plate? What can we take a look at? We, we sometimes tackle the wrong skill with our best attempt that we're providing something. We just don't stop to really ask those deeper questions. 
what does the employee really need? What does that really look like from their perspective and how would they like to learn or manage that skill or trait or task or ability? Which, which all then goes back to coaching, right? It's this idea of, are you having actual coaching conversations with your people, sales teams, your customer service people, um, to understand what's really going on and go beyond the reviewing of tasks and your weekly to-do lists and things like that and really understand, you know, get, get beneath the surface of what's going on with that person. When it comes to coaching, do you think companies are setting the example for, for what they want their mid-level and frontline leaders to be doing? And where I'm, where I'm going with that is this idea that, that it has to start at the top and that there's too much when it comes to trying to create a coaching culture, a little too much of like, do what I say, not what I do. Do you, do you see that in your work or, or how do, and how do you see companies that do it well, get beyond that? I will say, I think gratefully. So I, I am finding that that mindset is starting to really truly become a thing of the past, at least in the industry, in the field that I I support. Um, I am hearing so many more powerful testimonials from leaders within organizations who recognize they're not the smartest ones in the room. They are smart by the, the team that they surround themselves by. And so setting that as a, from a leadership, and I do, I still firmly believe that that culture and tone and expectation does definitely start at the top. It starts though with that leader saying, hey, here's what I am willing to accept for myself. Here's what I'm, my expectations are of you. Here's my expectations. If things don't go well, here's here's our rules to play in. Um, it kind of becomes that very much uh, true demonstration of humble leadership when a leader can say, "I'm I'm willing to make mistakes and I'm willing to accept your mistakes as long as we're learning along the way." And it's always an opportunity to fall forward. Uh, we take that mistake and say, "Okay, darn, that's not the what we intended. What do we need to do about it? How do we not repeat that mistake? And how do we keep keep this project or goal or objective on the on back on track?" So I, I, what I'm seeing, which is positive, is those leaders who set the tone, set the expectation, and then hire other leaders. Uh, and again, definition of a leader is someone who inspires others. They don't necessarily have to have the role of coach, manager, leader, supervisor, team lead, you know, following their name. A leader is a leader of self. Uh, and they, they look for those employees who are willing to challenge sometimes that, that status quo in a way that's professional and respectful for the growth of the organization as a whole. And so when I'm seeing that in cultures now within organizations, I tell you, I get goosebumps because I do. What I see holistically across board is employees with more autonomy, uh, more try, more effort, more of that, again, that achievement drive, that spark when they understand that my my voice matters here and I have a leadership and, and I can talk out and up in a way that supports the growth of our, our branch, our team, our department, and our organization. And they feel, yeah, they feel more empowered. I, I like the phrase that you used, used earlier about falling forward, right? Because everybody falls down, but are you falling in a, in a way that helps you continue to move ahead and, and move forward? That's, and, and, and leaders have such a, such a role in that. Like if people feel afraid to fail, then they're not going to stretch their you know, what's possible for themselves and what's possible for the organization if they feel like they're going to get reprimanded for it versus seeing it as as a growth opportunity to step outside that comfort zone, right? And I think what uh, what we know that as, right, that ugly monster of ego management, Yeah, <laughs> that's what we're really up yes. against here. And something that has been coming up a lot in some of my courses with groups is that 
we have to we have to leverage that ego, right? Not not all egos are made for evil. Uh, there is opportunity to manage the ego gratification, right? What comes along when I've done a job well and the praise and recognition and support I get from my my peers, my leadership, uh, my family, my friends, whoever I might brag about my good day at work. Um, there is something to be said to understanding that ego management too isn't always what we knew it in the past of where as a leader I have to win and I have to have all the answers. No, that ego gratification is. I'm the smartest person in the room when I can leverage the smartest people in the room. And so that then becomes very inspiring for others to want to be around that person and contribute because, they, again, they feel that they'll be respected and that recognition will come with the gratification of knowing I contributed something meaningful today that made an impact on either a customer I was helping or, again, that that overall objective of the organization. So to keep building on what we're, we're talking about here around, around attracting and, and maximizing and building great sales and customer service talent. So we we wrote something recently. So there's the trending topic that you see everywhere around that's called the quiet quitting, right? And it's an idea that get that's getting a lot of attention. And we wrote about it too recently. And the gist of it was that um, you know, you hear this all the time. People don't leave jobs, they leave their managers. Um, because the and it's and it's both because the manager and the job are inextricably linked. How do companies develop leaders that are able to craft more meaningful, motivating employee experiences that, that, that by definition will, will keep people engaged. What, what's sort of the, the secret formula to identifying great leader leadership candidates and then actually developing them? Yeah. It's just three simple letters, right? Will ask. I think, again, we just failed to go back and ask an employee, what is your expectation of this job? As, an, as a, new, a new hire, let's say, uh, you know, we intellectually explain to them their job description and say, here's, here's intellectually what you need to know in order to do this job. An employee says, yes, right? They see that job description. That's why they posted, put their resume out there. So the quiet quitting will comes into play when all of a sudden the employee gets on said job and is no longer being asked or involved to, okay, what would you like to do? And, and will these activities... How do they align with your outcome of expectation as you're a part of this company and a part of this growth? And so we do we just, just kind of I hear the saying all the time and it nails on a chalkboard where someone says, oh, yeah, we've, we've got the holes to fill in our team. It's like they just see these bodies as just this interchangeable plug in, plug and play. Plug and play and yeah. You can't, you treat, yeah. If you treat people like a plug and play, you're going to get production of a plug and play, which might fritz out on a good day. Right. So, again, it just goes back to that value conversation of. I hired you because I believed in you. I hired hired you because I saw potential in you and you agreed that this job description aligned with something that you overall wanted to accomplish. What is that? Ultimately, is your job here, is it short-term? And, and if so, that's okay, why? Tell me what tools and resources we can give you to arm you for your next uh, level journey. Uh, that'll take us to the offboarding topic next year, I think. But we, we fail to appreciate that, hey, if I've made this investment in you, let me maximize my return and my investment of time to hire you, time to train you, time to educate you on how to do this job. I want to maximize that, have the growth within my business, because if that employee grows and develops, guess what? Others around will grow and develop with them. And even if they choose to stay or they choose to leave, you're still maximizing your investment of hiring that potential of that person. And who knows? Maybe they stick around because they align with your philosophy and how you lead them, how you coach them, how you help protect that burnout. If and when, not maybe not if, when it does creep up on all of us. How do we manage that? Yeah. And like you said, if you just have that 
perspective of people aren't, it's, it's not a robotic thing to plug somebody into a specific role, but you're bringing in talented people that have a lot of different skills, perspectives, experiences, and can maybe grow and develop in ways that you didn't even see previously. And that's how you sort of raise that, that level within the entire, entire organization. Um, so you and I t- talked a couple weeks ago and, and you just alluded to, it was an area that I, I thought was really interesting. I wanted you to, to get into, which was that companies spend a lot of investment in welcoming and onboarding new salespeople and new customer service people. But you've talked about how companies are too often ignoring something else, which you called offboarding. Can you talk about what you see happening or, or not happening, I guess, there? Yeah. And it's, and, and I, again, this is probably a touchy subject, right? Because theirs goes into our ego, <laughs> ego management, ego gratification of no manager wants to lose a team member, right? And I hear time and time again, right? Here I go. I've, as a manager, I've got to take time away from my coaching and leading of my team to go and recruit, potentially hire my next candidate to join the, join the group or join the team. And what we're, again, what I think is missing is that we invest, I, and I forgive me, I don't have the latest quotes, but I want to say it's like 15 grand just to onboard in the first couple months of a new, new employee experience from the cost of the hiring effort to whatever, uh, you know, time off packages, whatever you might be onboarding that individual with. And so as we think about organization reputations, especially in this day and age where with COVID and, and pre-COVID, if organizations of values, if that company value didn't align, consumers make decisions to do business with businesses on how they treat other people. And so if a company is not protecting how they're treating people, guess who, what people do? They talk. <laughs> so if you're investing this time to bring on employees and, and then I hear managers say, oh, I can't find any good candidates. Well, let's think about that. What's your, what's the company's reputation in the community? I mean, as people are coming to go. What role have you played in that, <laughs> that reputation, right? Yeah. yeah. So social media and uh, things like Glassdoor, they have very far reaching fingers. <laughs> Yes, and very transparent feedback for those who choose to leave it. And again, this doesn't necessarily mean you're going to send every employee off with a gift basket and a hug and a kiss. I mean, that may not be exactly what we're talking about. Just being respectful of when you have this person as an employee, should they choose to take their business elsewhere, uh, professionally speaking, shall we say, what's the reputation you want them to say about you as they leave? you, they might have left your company, not for any ill intent, maybe just for a completely different job or opportunity that something that they couldn't you know, say no to. Wouldn't you want them giving good recommendations if you, if you enjoyed them as an employee? Wouldn't you want that good recommendation to have them sending other referrals your way as a, a potential replacement? And of course, that doesn't take away from those employees that are the good attrition. You know, sometimes that good attrition happens. And it's just, again, take care of the people. Because the people at the end of the day will will matter matter to the brand and the rep, reputation of the organization. And and another aspect is that the people that are staying, they're paying attention too, right? They're they're watching how people who are leaving are being treated, and if they're just being allowed to leave and like, oh well, then that sends the message that people are just a cog in in the wheel and and not as valued, right? So it, that idea of being gracious and and deliberate and how you treat people when they leave has an effect on the people that stay. Yeah. And that's where they quiet quit, right? So they may not necessarily have the other position lined up for them, but they certainly just watch the treatment of their friend, their cubicle buddy, shall we say, you know, and, and, you know, watching that person leave and and either getting uh, recognition for time well spent within that 
time or tenure that they were with the organization? Or was it just a don't let the door hit you on your way out? You know, so then they're going, well, shoot, why, why? How do my contributions matter? If Why should I care if this is how I'll be treated when and if my time comes to exit the organization? So I, I wanted to pivot a bit. And, and again, the timing was really good because I heard a lot of conversations around this at a, a banking uh, industry conference that I was at this week with a lot of regional and community banks and, and credit unions. And I know that's a lot of the work that that you do. So um, in those regional banks and credit unions where they're not typical, a lot of people, there are not many people with typical sales responsibilities. I know you see this, that the biggest hurdle to creating a sales culture in those organizations seems to be around how they view the idea of selling itself. It's less about skills development and it's more what do they think between their ears that selling means. That it's, you know, and I and I heard it this week that people said, oh, well, in our organization, it's viewed as pushy, negative, it's a dirty word, all those things. In your role as a as a trainer and facilitator in the in that industry specifically, how do you go about helping people in those organizations like that to to have a paradigm shift or, you know, a mindset shift around what sales really is in context of serving customers. Yeah. And you're, you're spot on it's mindset. Um, and that mindset is because of a physical encounter that they themselves as consumers had with an inappropriate selling interaction, meaning right. That they were sold something or, or purchased something that, they didn't understand the value, what that item meant or could do for them. So therefore didn't benefit from the value of said sold item or purchase. So then all of a sudden realizing, I think I got ripped off, right? Or I think I got taken advantage of, or I paid more, right? I hear that a lot too. Oh, so I, I, I understand the value of my purchase or product. Now I've just paid more for it over here when I could have gotten a discount or paid less for the same service, same package, same protection. I find out later I could have saved money. So then it feels slighted, right? It feels like you've been taken advantage of because for most of us, we're not the subject matter experts as consumers when we go out in, in the world shopping, right? For To purchase a car or a home. I mean, I'm, I personally know things about mortgages, but I don't work firsthand with a mortgage. Same thing with a car. I've driven cars, but I don't really know the first thing about how I would sell or offer a car specifically uh, to an individual. So if you're not the subject matter expert in that, it's very easy to get caught up in the shiny. And it's very easy to get caught up in the the perception of that new car or new home or a new dress, it doesn't matter, new pair of shoes, whatever it is, we can get caught up very quickly in a look and a feel. And that's the emotional connection. So then when we feel now that we've been paid more or got taken advantage of in the purchase of it, that then becomes that negative. Well, I could never do that. I would never want someone to do that to my grandmother, right? We hear that a lot. I would never want someone to sell my grandparents something they couldn't benefit from. And so I'm going to treat every member like my grandparent. Well, that's good intention. So let's talk about what does that really mean? Are you doing that, uh, your grandmother, a service or a disservice by not offering them solutions, ideas, protections based on their individual situation, not yours? So oftentimes, like you said, Will, it becomes a conversation about mindset. It becomes a conversation about intentions. What is your intention? Is your intention just to sell something? Because then, yeah, it probably doesn't align with most folks. And so they're not going to do it or they'll do it incorrectly. Uh, if it aligns, if they feel that, yes, what I'm offering is a value, what I'm offering, um, the, you know, that this pricing is reflective of the quality of what they're going to receive. I can talk about that all day long because I believe in what I'm offering is the best thing for you, mem member, customer, um, because you've told me you've used those words. And now I'm aligning that to what you said you need.
you know, the, the, the gap between sales and customer service from the customer standpoint is very much blurred. And in a lot of cases, they don't even discern between the two. So, but how do you help people in organizations that are in those roles understand the connection between the two customer service and sales and how they, how they interconnect? Yeah, of course we, uh, we, we always talk about it, right? There's always discussion uh, and it does, it goes back into your values. Uh, what makes you tick? What makes you good at what you do? And let's talk about what service means to you. And what I hear often when I ask the question, what does service mean? Service is very positive, right? Oh, I'm providing something. I'm uh, giving education to my customer. I'm telling them about something that they didn't know about or solving uh, problems, solving problems. They get very excited about those activities. And then I say, okay, Let's talk about that. How did you solve that problem? You know, when when your customer couldn't, um, you know, get to your location during a closed hour. You know, how did you solve that? Oh, well, I, I told them about our online our website, and they could. Okay, so you sold them a solution. No, no, no. I start, you know, and it's like, oh, wait a minute. I guess I did. Do, yes, you did. If you're if you're identifying a need and solving a problem, you may be using the solution as the band aid, right? To to the cut on the arm. I mean, it's that. Here's the solution. Here's your source. Here's what I can match to that. You're still you're doing the activity. You just don't realize it because what you're aligning your selling belief is the negative uh, persona or the negative outcome that happened to you or it has happened to somebody else. So you're trying to avoid that by thinking you're just serving when really when we talk about it, you're selling. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I, one of the recent guests that we had on this podcast, he said that he describes selling as helping someone make a buying decision that's in their best interests. And, you know, the emphasis there is the, in their best interests, right? You're not just pushing, like, I'm going to jam this product down somebody's throat, whether or not they, they need it or have asked for it, but you're solving problems and filling needs that are in their best interest. That's right. I, I, t- I tell my groups a lot recently as we talk about these customer conversations and how to identify, like you said, that value, what is it that they're looking for? How do we align with their needs to our solutions? And I, I kind of joke with my groups, I'll say, it's it's like, help me help you. <laughs> if you can position yourself as, as truly that servant, if service is your heart of, heart of hearts and that's what you're aligning to, help me help you. I'm here to serve you. Tell me about your needs. Help me understand that. You can still do those activities of serving your customer, client, or member if you're aligning to the solutions that your organization's offering. And you're still doing the right thing as long as you are intentional with every customer uh, conversation. And that, I would be, is where we see the gap of performance is the employees aren't consistent, right? They pick and choose which uh, customers they want to be servicing and exploring those deeper needs versus the ones that they are. Would you just like fries with that? You know, if they're just order takers, you're not going to have the same value conversation. And that's where organizations as leaders say, hey, we need to help selling because our people aren't selling. No, no, they are. They're just maybe not as consistent. They're not doing it with every customer opportunity. They're they're picking and choosing and asking if they would like fries with that or do they explore the deeper needs about, tell me about the seasoning you'd like with those fries. Yeah. And well, what you just said, it's very, it's the idea of being intentional with each and every customer that it, it's it's something that, if you're modeling internally things about being intentional with every employee, then in turn, they'll be more apt to be that way with customers, right? So that it's that idea of sort of top-down modeling. What are the behaviors that your leaders are displaying with employees? Those same behaviors, one way or the other, are going to come out with 
customers too, right? Absolutely. The last thing I wanted to get into is just sort of in general, like what's your, again, going back to the idea of becoming great magnets for sales and, and customer service talent and, and, and nurturing and cultivating that talent. What's your best piece of advice that you give companies that are trying to become just that great magnets for sales, customer service people? And what would you say to leaders that maybe in the face of current economic volatility might even be thinking about like, oh, well, we're going to reduce our you know budgets or investments around training or talent management or talent development, that sort of thing? Well, yeah, first of all, that's very scary for me to think that those uh, learning dollars uh, disappear because if we don't pour into te your team and staff, right, how how do you truly expect them to pour into your customer? Um, I I was going to say, just on a caveat, thinking, thinking of magnets and fridges, I, I was going to say that's one good idea I heard um, recently is uh, guess the fridge. If you talk looking for motivation, you know, with a group, I had a group say that they took pictures of the refrigerators and I had everyone submit it for an online meeting and they were trying to guess whose fridge belonged in whose house. So, you <laughs> know, magnets, good. I just thought that came to me. <laughs> so if anyone's looking for something fun, some fun motivation, team building activity, guess the fridge um, is, was the game they played. But it is, it's going back to that though. If you want results that you're not yet experiencing, you're going to have to do things that maybe you've never done before. And oftentimes as leaders, we get stuck in our box of what we believe is what we should be doing. And that is the first thing, line of defense, right? Will is when things go bad, we need to reduce. And instead it's when things are not going so great, we need to lean in. We've got to pour in, lean into your teams. Again, that's the number one thing I hear from leaders. And it's just like a fatal mistake is they don't trust their group. They don't trust their staff. They don't trust that their team members uh, have just as much of a vested desire to keep the business going as they do. So they fail to ask, they fail to lean in and say, hey team, let's be honest, here's where our struggles are. What ideas do you have? Um, have you tried something at a previous employer that maybe we can implement here that we've not yet explored and be open to hearing. And maybe again, if you want results you're not yet experiencing, you might have to try things that you've never tried before. So be willing, be daring and trust that your group, your, your staff wants to see success. They wouldn't have applied for that position. They wouldn't have applied in the tenure they have with you, even short term to long term. They wouldn't be there if they didn't believe that at some point at the end of the day, something was in it for them. So tap into that. Find out what motivates them. Ask questions for ideas for solution. Let them be a subject matter expert and maybe an area that you know a lot about or maybe one that you don't. Let them shine. Yeah, and they, they have a lot more answers than maybe what some some leaders think that they do, right? It's the, people aren't always, they're not looking f to get all the answers from their manager. They want to be empowered to go and find the answers themselves. As long as they know, again, going back to the goal clarity thing, as long as somebody's compass is pointed in the right direction, they'll, they'll find the right path to get there from A to B. I think one of my, one of my most favorite leadership quotes, and I, I use this a lot on my calls. Um, I, I pulled from an online source that I follow. It was four plus four equals eight. Well, so does two plus six. It doesn't matter how we're getting to the number eight. So be willing to be flexible, be willing to allow others to do things. And maybe they're going to get to the number eight differently than you got to it. It's not wrong as long as we're still getting to the number eight. Uh, so be flexible, respect other people's way of thinking. And again, ask, get their ideas. And if we're all getting to the number eight, then let's get to the number eight. That's really good. That's a great articulation. Um, well, I want to thank Elisa Matthews again for her time and perspectives. Elisa, thank you so much. This has been really, really insightful. 
Thank you, Will. Uh, you can find and follow Elisa on LinkedIn and her company, Allied Solutions. Their website is alliedsolutions.net. Uh, for everybody listening, I want to thank you all for spending time with us uh, where, from wherever and, and whenever you might be listening. Uh, if you've missed any previous episodes, please scroll through whichever podcast app you're, you're looking at currently and, and find previous episodes that you might have missed. Um, also, make sure to subscribe. Uh, please leave a comment or a rating. It really helps us in further developing this show and, and making it better. And again, thank you to Elisa for your time today. And thank you to all of you listening for taking time out of your days to listen to us. So look forward to having you join us again next time. And uh, until then, thank you very much. Have a great day. You've been listening to Mental Selling, an Integrity Solutions podcast. Stay in touch with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player and following us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Please give us a rating, leave a comment and share episodes you love. That helps us keep empowering sales and service leaders to master the mental side of selling. Until next time, let's go out and create amazing customer experiences.